This is Jim Kepner. And this is Lucia Chappell. I'm uh, John Ritchie, and I'm here to discuss my latest book, The Sexual Outlaw, which is a nonfiction documentary just released. It's my sixth book and my first overtly called nonfiction. I call it a documentary because I've used actually the film shape of it. And, um, and it's, it's basically structured on two levels. One is the experiential, which describes uh, three, three days and nights, three composite days and nights in the life of a promiscuous homosexual in Los Angeles. That is a protagonist called sometimes Jim, sometimes John, sometimes Jerry. Uh, it's the same person. And he moves... I would insert there that some people will have difficulty believing that anyone could have that much experience in three days and three nights. And the only people that will will be the people who have uh, done so only in fantasy. But the ones that are on the front will have no problem believing it. I think that somebody, uh, two critics have tried to count the sexual encounters. One came up with 70-something, which seems very, very little. Another came up with 100-something, which seems more likely. But this is possible if one dedicates oneself on a weekend. Now, remember that this is explained, this is a promiscuous weekend, not the promiscuous weekend. And this is a composite. I have taken experiences from a long range of, of years, I would say from five years, and I have put them into one weekend of timed encounters. This does not mean that every one of those encounters happen on that weekend, but that a comparable number is possible. It's certainly very true. Anyhow, there is on that level the experience that just follows Jim through all the parks, the underground tunnels. And then there are what are called the voiceovers, which are the commentaries, ranging all the way from vice cops, set up arrests, uh, Judy Garland, uh, sadomasochism, uh, hustling, uh, the rear guard, and some of the other uh, some okay. of the other sections. Last year's Christopher Street Parade, the Mark the, par Ford the parade, the Mark IV arrest, uh, all all these things. Yeah, I have yeah. tried to strip it away from sentimentality. My novels all have a very romantic cast. Because this was meant to be a revolutionary book, I stripped it away. The style is very filmic, very straightforward. I mean, I've, and I have also constructed it very carefully. Because of the many, many sex passages in this book, many people are focusing on those. And, and it's unfortunate in a sense, although I don't mind. I mean, why shouldn't people get aroused? You know, some are freaked out by them. <laughs> yeah, some are freaked out by them, some are not. Incidentally, I find the response from straight women and straight men who, who do read it uh, has been uniformly positive, that it is a wonderful, a wonderful turn. Well, they're not thinking, what will people think of us? <laughs> right, but the, but the thing that I'm trying to tell you is that one of the purposes that I, I mean, this is a, this is a book that I really directed at least as much to straight people as to gay people. I wanted to tell straight people, this is what is happening. I also wanted to tell liberal people, look, you support blacks, you support Chicanos, farm workers, but, but you are always absent when we are getting marauded, when we are getting raided. So in a sense, I'm turning them into, and I'm, I'm saying to them, are you the good Germans that are going to remain quiet? I mean, when it, all the persecution comes down on us, would you say you didn't know? And I have geared it a lot well, to the straight audience. Well, do you think straight people will be able to accept 
the idea that gays are having promiscuous sex in great numbers in the streets and that that's okay. That's what the conservative gays are afraid of. Uh, some are, and I think that the conservative gays have, have misread my book. Uh, a lot of people are making comments about this book without having read it, incidentally. And, and this is very disconcerting. If they read it, they would see that I am not against relationships. Uh, I merely say, why can't we have both? You know, and why do we have to impose that straight, uh, that straight middle, that, that acceptable sort of what I call the gray middle? Okay, now again in revolutionary terms, I find that minorities are conquered in one of several ways, and the most insidious and subtle one is to hand out little crumbs. You know, the rest of minority is stirring, you know, and so they say, okay, we're going to let you sit in front of the bus, uh, we're going to make sure that you have better barracks in the fields, you know, when you, when you do stoop labor, we're going to give you these things, and you are now going to aspire to become a member of that beautiful gray middle. You know, that senseless, unthinking middle. You won't be in it, but you'll be at the peripheries, and we will keep you restive. And the revolutionary fervor will, will, will go away. one or two of your token members. Exactly, exactly. Now, Do you find that many gays today still would rather not hear about the people that you write about in the situations? Unfortunately so, Jim. In fact, I've come to label it the new closetry, uh, which is an attitude uh, uh, that, is, uh, that is being uh, per uh, perpetuated, in fact, by some magazines, that as long as we can say that everything is all right from the outside and the inside with the gay world, then that will make it all right. In the meantime, of course, we see the oppression and the repression continuing. The Sexual Outlaw is an angry, beautiful book a passionate call to action of the sort that Rap Brown, Eldridge Cleaver, and Stokely Carmichael made to blacks a few years ago. You preach a gospel of revolutionary sex. Urging people to have sex in the streets is the only way to break down the respectable Puritan morality on which the Vice Squad is based. Uh, yes, and I, and I want to clarify, I'm, I, uh, I go along with the context that you put it of, of Eldridge Cleaver and, and the, the other people, very, very much so, uh, but distinctly in, in a gay context. I want, I want to make it clear that I, am, that I am calling not for a shooting revolution, but another kind of shooting. I'm not calling for the spilling of blood. I'm, I'm, I'm calling for the joy of spilling of sperm and, uh, and sex, public sex as revolution. Now, in the revolutionary context, the reason that I am delighted that you've put it in that, uh, in that same area is uh, historically I think that it will be confirmed that the civil rights movement began, actually began, when that beautiful black woman in the South, you know, on a bus said, my feet are tired, man, I'm not moving to the back of the bus and she broke the law right where the confrontation occurred she didn't go home and talk about it in private she broke it where the people that uh, that had enforced these illegal laws saw that they that there was going to be this defiance now in a sexual context uh, some some homosexuals who would prefer that that we not talk about promiscuity that we not talk about about hustling say and I have heard this uh, uh, public sex has nothing to do with gay liberation I say it has everything to do with gay liberation they are not busting us for setting an incorrect table I'm not a gay spokesman I think we have too many gay spokesmen I am a spokesman for a certain type of gay experience I wish that this would be emphasized I don't think we are one experience have you ever heard of a heterosexual spokesman no then why do we expect a gay spokesman I can't possibly speak for the whole range of gay experience I speak and quite truthfully for the aspect that I know about
I happen to think that the shock troops are the promiscuous homosexuals who are having sex openly in the parks, in the streets, in the garages, although we are distinctly invisible to the heterosexuals. Those promiscuous homosexuals are the shock troops of the sexual revolution. Aren't you saying, though, when you say that, that uh, lesbians cannot be involved in the vanguard of, of liberation? No, I am not at all, Lucia, not at all. I, I simply, as a male homosexual, feel that I cannot speak for, for, for lesbians. I cannot speak for women. What the, on, the only thing that I can do is I can speak for the experience that I have had as a so-called promiscuous homosexual in the area of, uh, of cruising, in the area of sex. I, I would very, very much want to learn from and listen to uh, lesbians, learn from and listen to women uh, uh, with, their li with, with liberated attitudes, but I would not want to speak for them. That's why, with the exception of one, one small chapter in which I do discuss women, uh, I have decided to move away from that because I think that in any area of revolution or consciousness we should listen to the person that is doing the experiencing and learn from them and then absorb and move along with them. Do you think then that there's any basis for a, a revolution that takes in everybody? Yes, uh, I, and in fact, in, in my book, I say that one of the things that I criticize is the separation of the, of the homosexual minority from the same oppression uh, that uses women. Uh, uh, is vented on, on homosexuals, on Mexicans. I mean, it is the same hungry evil. We have only to look at Anita Bryant uh, to see what is happening. She has found her way along in the, in, the, in, the, in the gay atmosphere, and now she's moving to attack women's liberation. They follow straight down the line. Police chiefs rant against one group. They'll rant against another. It is the same hungry evil, and we have to see it in that context. What we also see is that gays as persons who are oppressed, and this goes for other minorities too, will frequently uh, make pariahs out of subgroups within the gay community. Yes. I've been with some gay leaders in meetings with the police where those gay leaders have promised to help clean up Selma or help clean up Griffith Park. That, that infuriates me, and you know what I call that, uh, Jim and Lucia? I call that straight imitation. This is one of the main messages of this book. Homosexuals women and men are special we are special you know we have been constructed by certain attitudes certain uh certain pressures what has emerged out of that is a very special human being i mean i won't have i won't go through the long litany of the arts and all that let's let's just consider you know that we have produced some of the great people of all time Okay, now comes what I call the straight imitator. The homosexual that supposedly is liberated, but that really wallows in straight imitation. Okay, he wants to get married. Okay, that's fine. I say, if you want to get married, that's fine. But don't impose that again as another norm that we have to battle against. Our, our abundant sexuality is one of the main aspects that I find beautiful in the gay experience. Speaking only from my experience, from how I view it. But straight imitation is, for example, what the blacks were doing at a certain time when they were straightening out their hair and using bleaching creams. They were denying their own specialness. Now we homosexuals are trying to be more macho than the very same people that were marauding our territories and continue to. We are now trying to imitate. Pretty soon we'll be able to get a divorce legally. Now we're trying to join all kinds of organizations, churches that don't want us, all these organizations that don't want us. That is straight imitation. So in come the, the, the wonderful people, the wonderful straight people that 
that met with Carter recently. I mean, my blessings on them, my blessings on them. But they did not have a drag queen, and I mean a drag queen with a gorgeous, you know, red wig and high platform shoes. They did not have, have a hustler who knows what's going on. They did not have a promiscuous homosexual. They did not have a married man. They did not have, I mean, they did not have the full range of us. They chose the most acceptable one to the straight establishment. They are going to be racist. They're not going to accept us. But I say, let that be if that's what you want, but also allow me the other kind of specialness that I'm looking for. John, it just seems to me that you've, you run into an awful wall of contradictions in what you're saying, don't you? Because on the one hand, you say it angers you when so-called respectable gay people want to clean up Selma or clean up Griffith Park. Yeah. And yet, on the other hand, you reject the S&M lifestyle. You say, on the one hand, that that is straight identification, and then yet we talk about hustlers who are straight identified. Uh, hustlers are increasingly less straight identified, Lucia. If one reads City of Night, yes, there was a different brand of hustling. If you read, if you read The Sexual Outlaw, you will see that there has been a new kind of consciousness that is emerging among, among hustlers. I mean, one has certain rights, and among those rights, is the right to sell one's body. I mean, you can sell a car. In a capitalist society, these are the ironies. You can sell a car and make a big profit. And that's not prostitution. Or not prostitution <laughs> at all. You can sell a house and make a big profit. God knows that you have to evict like, like 20 poor families to do it. But your body, which is your own and which you may train to make beautiful and saleable, you may not because that's part of morality. So see, Lucia, I find no contradiction at all. Plus, since you brought up, then how can I be opposed to S&M? Because I think that that is the worst of straight imitation by gays. I divide things into what is revolutionary and therefore purifying and counter-revolutionary and therefore draining of the energy. To An important thing here, I think, is that you have derived the definition of what is revolutionary and how we go about our struggle from the specifics of the male gay experience. Yes. Uh, rather than, and in fact, most of the gay organizations have gone about building straight style organizations to carry on Very true. the and, activity. Very true, and sad, yeah. Uh, now, what women's liberation and what your kind of gay liberation have proposed is to break away from that, to go to the experience of the group and to build the force that will change society out of the experience of it, gay of women in one case, gay women, and here of gay men. I found that I wasn't so much bothered by the myth of, of the number of sexual experiences on the weekend, but the, what bothered me more was the myth of the big beautiful hunk. One of the aspects of this book is of the narcissistic male. Uh, the the bodybuilder type that Jim Jerry John are uh, uh, I I myself am very much into bodybuilding and feel very concerned for appearances and body again as part of as part of my experience uh, I convey that I do not think that narcissism is a bad is a bad thing at all in fact I I think the next form of liberation I'm being just only slightly facetious is the liberation of narcissists it, it is a malign minority too it it, it is a commentary on our Puritan morality, that it's okay for you to say, Lord, I am the worst sinner in the world. 
and then people applaud and say oh the beautiful humility of this gorgeous person but if you say you know I'm not bad at all you know and I have a really great body you know I'm, I'm, I'm good looking and I can do this I can do that people will say oh for shame the utter vanity of it so it's all right to put yourself down but it's not all right to put yourself up I, I find that very disconcerting there's a converse of that like a lot of young gay liberationists you have a few liberal words to say about appreciating older gays about giving some sustenance or support to those who are not attractive or, or effeminate gays and others of the pariah classes in our community but your descriptions of your own sex hunt shows you or your protagonist regularly and rather brutally rejecting many of those certainly any of those who aren't attractive at the moment and quite frequently many of those who are and yet terrified of rejection and terrified of rejection mm -hmm. this is this is an absolutely main thing of the sexual outlaw but it is not accidental i want you to know that this was put in there as part of the honesty very very honest about this main protagonist too now that is why i one of the reasons that i chose this dual form uh, uh of the experiential uh, as he moves from sex encounter to sex encounter and the voiceovers because in one of the voiceovers a very important figure is introduced that is the saboteur figure now the saboteur figure comes to represent the lurking aspects of gay self-hatred imposed by the heterosexual world part of that is what pressurizes the homosexual so that he does indeed turn away from from the from 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 the not very beautiful the not old or the non-paying or whatever whatever the context is i deliberately brought that in jim and you see your criticism of jim's uh, activities in in some areas where he does reject would be my criticism of him too uh, of myself even for doing such things but the other aspect of Jim who is the writer that speaks with with the I voice does indeed comment on these aspects and criticizes these aspects because Jim also is involved at one time or another and in the book too in sadomasochistic activity but the voiceover comments very negatively on it so it is a matter of having both expressing it as it is now and then commenting on it from the idealistic point of view of purging oneself of so many of these attitudes I have developed working definitions in the context of my own uh, uh, revolutionary attitudes uh, on, on the gay front and these definitions are, are, are perhaps simplistic but, but, but they do work uh, all sex whether it be uh, gay male female uh, or uh, heterosexual male female whatever has overtones at its best of fantasy and of power this, this is not to criticize that, that aspect of sex. I think that one of the things that enriches the gay experience is our ability to act out fantasies. But that has nothing to do with S&M. Gay S&M, and I'm talking only about gay S&M because certainly straight S&M is, is, is very widespread. Gay S&M, in my definition, is the one that relies on gay self-hatred and or gay humiliation and punishment, therefore. I think that when the charade is of, of one punishing another, uh, 
uh, in order to allow the other to have a sex act that is definitely based on self-hatred. I'm not speaking from any moralistic point of view, not at all. I'm speaking from the point of view not only of someone who has been there, but of someone who is still there mm -hmm. and trying to see what happens. I am not angered by, by people who perform in sadomasochism. I myself am very attracted to, to the power of it. I am angered whenever this happens at the straight world because I think, Jesus, this is what they have brought on us. This is what they have imposed on us. What a metaphor of what has brought us down. This is Lucia Chappelle. And this is Jim Kepner for the Gay Radio Collective. We've been talking with John Retchie, whose exciting new book, The Sexual Outlaw, is making waves in both gay and non-gay circles. Children Do.